0: If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Finding employment that works for each one of us is definitely a process. I can certainly testify to that. My first couple of jobs were working as a dishwasher and then as a cashier in high school. I realized pretty quickly those were definitely not the jobs for me. Um, And, you know, finding my path to my dream job that I now have didn't start for me until after college. For some people, they start to figure that out sooner than me, others later. Um, we're all on a different timeline. On today's episode of Autism Stories, we talked to Carly Jallowick about her timeline and all the different jobs she has had in finding employment that works for her. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Carly, thanks so much for joining us today. I am happy to be here. I wanted to start out and learn, um, where does your story in the autistic community begin?
1: Uh, Fairly recently, actually, really less than a year ago. I would say probably about a year ago is when I first started looking into things. It actually all started because I suspected that my dad was on the spectrum at the time. just, you know, called it Asperger's, and my counselor, she said, well, there's things online you can look up and kind of think of him in mind and, you know, see what you think. And so I'm taking some of those quizzes and doing some of this research and (laughs) seeing myself in all the things. And it, you know, suddenly just started clicking, although I didn't have some of the social deficits to the level that they discussed. And then I started looking up women on the spectrum and that's when everything really, really clicked. So I was very lucky in that I was actually able to get a diagnosis I received my diagnosis in October of 2020, and it's been wonderful. I'm super, super happy and proud to be part of the neurodivergent community and really excited to be talking about all this stuff.
0: Now, when, when people discover they're autistic through self or through medical diagnosis, there's always the question of, well, what's next? I'm wondering, what have you learned since... Since your diagnosis, um, in regards to what being autistic specifically means for you.
1: So it was incredibly cathartic and relieving to find out that I was autistic because there's so much of myself that I thought was like broken or wrong or defective or or all these kinds of things that I have struggled with for most of my life. So I think a big one was just this level of self-acceptance and, you know, clarity that has really had ripple effects throughout the rest of my life. I was in counseling for a long time and there were so many things we were trying to work on and just not making the progress we wanted to. So it's allowed me to have a better idea of what I actually care about, what actually is a problem for me, what I actually wanna work on rather than you know what other people had told me was problematic. So for me, it's definitely, I mean, the biggest thing by far has just been this huge shift in self acceptance and and giving myself a lot more leeway and being so much nicer to myself than i ever was because i now just understand so much more about the way that i operate and also then to embracing the things about me that i've always known were quirky but before never appreciated them for what they were so it's been really wonderful for me and it's also been helpful In just being able to also better stand up for my needs, whereas before, you know, I definitely did not do that. So that's a little bit.
0: You mentioned um, people saying, you know, things that might be problematic in your life that you should work on. Were those things that were problematic based on neurotypical standards?
1: For sure. So I think one of the big ones was emotions. So ever since I was a little kid, my mom has always been like, oh, you're not very in touch with your emotions. And I never really understood that because my relationship with my emotions, I don't feel like that. I feel things very deeply. And then, you know, in counseling, that was echoed by my therapist. And so I just, you learn to believe it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not connected to my emotions. And it got to the point where my my counselor was like, Well, you have PTSD and you have all this childhood trauma and you know, you have all this suppressed stuff, and that's why you're not in touch with your emotions. And that's not true. I mean, I've got some trauma. Everybody has every autistic person has some trauma, but I I really like my relationship with my emotions was never a problem for me. It was always a problem that other people They were either worried for me or obviously it was a problem for them because they didn't know what I was feeling, but it was never really anything that was problematic for me. Although I will say sometimes it can be frustrating because I often don't know what I'm feeling. So that ability to identify emotions would be nice, but like, it's really not the the level of problem that other people kind of indicated that they thought it was.
0: Now, currently, you're an education assistant for Milestones Autism Resources, whose mission is to help autistic people reach their full potential. How did you initially um, connect with them and uh, become employed?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of a funny story. So before I was ever looking, one of my biggest struggles with autism is employment. That has I've had probably like ten jobs in ten years and. You know, it's that's a huge thing for me. So irrespective of that though, I when I was first suspecting autism in myself and knowing how hard it would likely be for me as an adult female, very neurotypical presenting, to get a diagnosis, I was reaching out to some of my friends who I knew did work with autistic children and asking, you know, is there anyone I can talk to? And they actually recommended milestones. So I called milestones for recommendation for someone to diagnose me. They actually had a name for me, which was wonderful. And so that was just, you know, totally on a personal level, whatever. And then I'm looking for a job a few months after my diagnosis and I see there's an opening there and I was like, how serendipitous, this is so perfect. And not only that, but the role itself was, you know, it was actually a perfect fit for me. So it ended up just working out really well and it was great because in my cover letter, I even mentioned how I'm autistic and how I had reached out to them as part of the process and working for them has been fantastic so it was just kind of a a cool serendipitous thing that happened
0: Uh, that's great to hear you mentioned having 10 jobs in 10 years what for you has been some of the challenges of of employment prior to milestones
1: right and I think that that's like that is the one place for me where my autism feels like a disability and I think a lot of it is again it's the neurotypical expectations or or the neurotypical things that are appreciated you know the huge focus on socialization and being around people and stuff and so a lot of it for me is less of an inability to be able to do things and more of i just completely burn out because i am very good at faking it and i have a decent variety of skills enough to where i can pretty much excel at most of those jobs so in fact almost all of those jobs, I was the one who left because I just couldn't handle it anymore. At the time, I just thought it was like mental health, normal, like depression, anxiety type things. But I never, I mean, there was more than that, but I never quite understood it again. I just thought I was faulty or broken or all that kind of stuff. But it's mostly that I am just on 100% of the time, 200 at at 200% level. And I just burn out. And That's pretty much what happens to me most of the time. And I'm hoping too, like even now, obviously Milestones is a great place to work, but having this additional understanding of myself is going to be huge. Because for instance, at my last job, I had a cubicle surrounded by a ton of people And I just remember thinking like, oh, I just really wish I had a cubicle off in the corner that was quiet. And then I thought to myself, I was like, what a silly little thing. Who would it, why, you know, he wouldn't even request something like that. What a pointless, stupid little thing to even care about. And now I know that's not a stupid, pointless little thing to care about that could have made all the difference in the world. So having this knowledge is super helpful, but yeah, that's kind of essentially just lots of burnout.
0: the cubicle does not sound like a stupid idea (laughs) at at, at all for sure. Was it, was it just the, you know, a lot of different, the different noises? Was it people coming up to you like surprises and asking you to do certain things? What was it about, you know, preferring a cubicle um, different than what you had?
1: So definitely all that kind of stuff, lights and sounds and things, a lot of people being around. And I just, in a way, you constantly, when you're in the middle of everything, you kind of constantly feel like you're being watched or observed, whether that's actually happening or not, I can't say. And so it just, I felt like I was always on stage and always performing in a sense, or that I had to be always on again. And, And I just, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like I had to just be prepared for anything. And yeah, definitely lots of people and conversation. And which is really hard when you're trying to write lots of stuff and everybody's talking and all that kind of stuff. So it was also just this wanting to have this space where I could breathe and just not be around anyone and just, you know, have some space to myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Through the coaching of my organization, Autism Personal Coach, you know, where we see sometimes with employment is the decision-making whether to accept this job or not. So I'm curious, what types of jobs did you have um over the last decade prior to milestones
1: i have had a variety of jobs so i mean like i was a lighting and sound technician at the theater i was a real estate agent i worked in retail I was a phone operator for a wholesale crafting company. (laughs) I was a veterinary assistant working with animals. I mean, pretty much everything that you could think of aside from, I don't know, manual labor. But I think a lot of it was I was trying to figure out what worked for me because I wasn't totally sure. I had gone to college for a little bit, but wasn't able to graduate because of autism and didn't (laughs) understand What was going on and just was like this is not working for me but so really a whole variety of things which was good because it helped me really narrow down the things that i liked and didn't like to the point where you know now i know i need you know more a lot of structure and and, you know computers and technical and data and entry and that kind of thing and not a lot of full interactions especially face-to-face and all that kind of stuff
0: when you applied to work at Milestones, was it important to you um, to work for an organization that was positively impacting the autistic community in any way?
1: I mean, that that was like a dream type situation. You know, I knew that I had always felt strongly about wanting to work for an organization like a nonprofit or a museum or a library or something where there wasn't solely a profit-based motive. That was always really, really important to me because a lot of that kind of typical capitalistic mindset stuff was really frustrating. For me, I was like, well, hey, if I get a job at a nonprofit, that would be great. But the fact that I was able to get a job at an autism nonprofit promoting the welfare of autistic people and doing so in a really good way as well was just like the icing on the cake. I've always been a big mental health advocate even before autism. It was not a must-have because I didn't think it was realistic or possible to make that a must-have, but it was like the coolest icing on the cake for, for that.
0: So you're an educational assistant for Milestones and you, and you help in preparation and organization of the annual Milestones National Autism Conference uh, with a focus on technical and administrative work in your position. Do you see being autistic as an advantage in any way in that position?
1: Absolutely, it is a very detail-heavy job, and trying to keep track of a lot of different things. Um, I'm kind of like a spreadsheet queen, and I make <laughs> I make tons of spreadsheets, and my level of detail is just you know off the charts. And I think that that is exactly what that particular role needs, you know, we had 90 sessions this last conference, and I think it was like 135 speakers, and we have to get speaker agreements and disclosures and bios and you know, and all this kinds of stuff, keeping track of the information, tracking things down, being organized and conscientious, and like I said, details. So definitely, I think it was a huge advantage being autistic in this role, for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I read that uh, your professional background includes um, an expertise in technology. Are there particular areas of technology you're most interested in?
1: Uh, Not really. I mean, I'm just kind of general computer, you know, like sort of your basic office computer type things. When I was uh, younger, I was a computer technician for Board of Education for my local school district, and we installed computer systems throughout the school. summer and I've done other things that are more like you know I was like a web chat agent and interacting with people that way so for me it's basically just anything being on a computer I love it I love spreadsheets but I also love like graphic design web design I did web design for a while and there aren't. I don't really have any technology things that I don't like. I'll pretty much, if it's on a computer, I will love this.
0: What was your experience as a web chat agent? You know, I, I think of, oh cu- yeah, <laughs> I think of customer service, and I sometimes want to run away. But is, is, was it different in terms of of the web chat?
1: For sure, and I think that in general, I would, I would be okay with doing web chat things. I think it's better for me, than like phone, because it's still, you know, web chat. However, the place we were doing web chat, this was at the Wholesale Crafters, was with a lot of like little old ladies who owned quilting shops. <laughs> so, <laughs> so web chat for them was not their native language by any means. And um, I think that overall, I would Web chat would be okay. I mean, not my favorite, really. I just like to kind of do things on my own. But, you know, I will take web chat over phone, unless asterisk being they're little old ladies running quilting shops. So (laughs) they didn't know what they were
0: doing. (laughs) Now, the things that uh, autistic people can be passionate about can be so beneficial in their lives. You know, sometimes you find that with work, which is great, but in many other circumstances, these can be lots of other things. So in doing research for, you know, for our conversation today, I found out that you are a fan of Sailor Moon. What, I am. What is What the heck is it about Sailor Moon that excites you so much?
1: That is such a great question because I have been asking myself that question my whole life. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's like there are some things that sometimes just strike you in such a way and they just, like, they hit on something deep in your soul and you don't know what it is. But I, so my best guess is... Her friend, she has, you know, like, they had great relationships with her friends, and she also had a cat, and I'm a big cat person, so that was part of it, too. I've always liked, you know, like, space and a lot of the kinds of cultural things that are in that, And but really, honestly, I don't know. I wish I knew what it was that was so... Like striking about it to me, but I really don't. I just, it hit me and I've been obsessed with it ever since. And I am literally a member of the International Sailor Moon Fan Club. I pay to be a part of it every year. And it's like the stupidest little thing, but it makes me so happy. I have a huge collection of Sailor Moon mementos and memorabilia that I've been getting my whole life and i just yeah i can't tell you what it is though i wish i knew
0: <laughs> what what are the benefits of participating in the sailor moon fan club
1: <laughs> not really much of anything <laughs> like honestly it's mostly just i do it because then i can sit like it just makes me feel go- like you pay so much money and they do send you like a like a little membership card and there's usually like a free little gift every year but it is not i pay just to be like yes, I can. I'm part of the actual fan club. It is not that beneficial at all. Just exciting and makes me happy, basically.
0: So you basically pay for them to send you a piece of paper with your name on it that says yes. Sailor Moon Fan Club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It is, it is a complete waste of money. It is a purely emotional purchase and one I will continue making until I am unable to do so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are there other things beyond Sailor Moon that you're uh, passionate about or have a special interest in?
1: For sure. I have several. I mean, as many people do. A big one for me, as I mentioned before, cats. So I have four cats. I've always been your kind of stereotypical crazy cat lady. So just if I see a cat well, really, if I see an animal anywhere, it's like I just turn into a babbling crazy person because I'm so excited. So animals and cats specifically are a huge one, which was cool then working as a veterinary assistant because I learned so much. And now it's like I'm everybody's go-to. Like they call me, hey, my cat's doing this. What does this mean? <laughs> Should I take it to the vet? You know, I'm kind of like a mini unofficial vet for everybody's cats. But in addition to that, cooking is another big one. I've been cooking ever since I was a little kid, like little, little kid. I started cooking my family's dinners in, I think, middle school. And it's just totally blossomed from there. I'm kind of the family chef. And other than that, I'm really into reading, especially classic literature. I ran a classics book club for a while. So just really into that. I worked at a library, which was Oh, that was fantastic. Talk about a place for autistic people to work as a library. <laughs> Loved that place. And then the last one, which is a kind of a particular one, are murder mystery dinner parties. So I have a particular fondness for them. And this past year, I actually just wrote my own for the first time. And I plan to continue writing my own murder mystery dinner parties. So yeah, that's a little, little snapshot.
0: So where, where are those going to take place?
1: I will try to keep this brief because I will I could easily talk for an hour about my murder mystery dinner party writing plan. So they are going to be classic literature themed and a lot of that is Because the one I wrote this past year was Clue-themed, based on the board game. And I thought about, you know, like, a lot of people told me, oh, you should try to sell it. But I just didn't, you know, copyright issues, and just, I really did not want to deal with that. And I was like, you know, I really had fun writing this, and I know a lot of people would like these, but I just really don't want to deal with that. And then I was like, classic literature is perfect, because I love it, and, you know... There's no, you don't have to worry about copyright after uh, after it becomes public domain. And most of these things have been in public domain for a long time now. I'm super excited. I'm going to do an Ad growl and Poe themed one, probably Sherlock Holmes, but also do like some, like probably a Jane Austen might as well, or, you know, maybe Dostoevsky or something just like <laughs> total. It's, it's going to be very, very niche. It is, <laughs> it'll be like for the English department at a college only, but I'm super excited about it and I have lots of material. To work from, so yeah, super pumped.
0: I'm excited about the Edgar Allan Poe. I was a big fan in high school. I read a lot. The The Raven. Is there going to be a Raven murder mystery party?
1: (laughs) uh, Oh, my goal is to kind of take some of, like, probably some of the biggest, most famous characters from a lot of the poems and put them all together, so that kind of have everything represented at once. And the hard part will be deciding what the actual crime is, because so much of the stuff is macabre in the first place and. (laughs) It'll be hard, you know, I'll just be like, maybe it'll just be everybody's guilty of a crime and you have to figure out which person did which crime because, yeah, that'll be the hard part.
0: Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Carly, I really appreciated your time today. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: I was so happy to be a part of this. I'm so glad that you had me on and I'm so excited for what you're doing overall.
0: Thanks so much to Carly for the conversation. If you would like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things you want and need in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I certainly hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories. And if you did, if you could tell a friend, a foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss truck driving and autism. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.